God. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, it's always great to be able to come together to study God's Word and to see what we can glean. Amen. From the pages of His book. Praise the Lord. We are still doing our tabernacle prayer guide. And, uh, uh, sister, do you have a copy of that? Yeah, okay, let me get a, um, get you a copy. Get uh, pass this back here to her. Hallelujah! Give me just a minute to get everything lined up here. Amen. Does anybody else need a copy? Okay. Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord. We have been teaching a lesson on praying through the tabernacle and um, (laughs) this has gotten me so uh, involved in it that um, I'm actually wanting to teach the tabernacle I love the study um, of the tabernacle Um, but we haven't actually been what we've been doing is using the tabernacle as a prayer guide you need one of these, Brother Paul? I got, I got plenty of them here. Okay. If one thing is of more importance than anything else for us as Christians is um, having a great, productive prayer life. You're as only as a strong a Christian as your prayer life is. And um, as I said last week, the disciples... Uh, didn't ask Jesus to teach them how to heal the sick or raise the dead. They asked him to teach them how to pray. And um, prayer does not come naturally to the to the carnal man. Um, as long as I've been in church, I have problems with prayer because your flesh don't like to do it. Um, if you're going to decide you're going to spend some time in prayer, you'll um, get sleepy. <laughs> you'll have other things happen. And uh, we have to press into, press into it. And uh, the tabernacle is a great way. There's no better way than to use the tabernacle as a prayer guide 
um, to um, think about. That's the one reason why I gave you these uh, handouts um, because if um, when you've got time to spend some time alone in prayer, if you will, you, you see the picture praying through the tabernacle I got up um, up there. That is an overall view of what the tabernacle looked like that Moses built and that they worshiped God during the 40 years in the wilderness. And later on, the Temple of Solomon was patterned the same, kind of the same way. And um, uh, we need to try our best to develop a good, rich prayer life. Um, when, um, when we come uh, to the tabernacle and we come to the entrance gate, as we're going through the gate, we go into that out, outward area out there that's called the courtyard. And I, and I think about in my mind as I start praying, the first thing I'm going to do is to start giving praise to God and thanking Him for all of His blessings, for everything He's done. Because the Bible says we enter in His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Amen. Then as we get through and we get in that courtyard, that's the first thing we should always do is to thank God. Give Him glory, give Him honor, give Him praise. Spend some time there as you at the gate. And then when you enter in, you're going to approach that, that, that altar, the brazen altar, where the sacrifices was made. And it is there where you... Uh, you begin to confess your sins and faults to God and you repent um, and you die out to the flesh. As Apostle Paul said, I die daily. Um, and then we move on and we come to the laver. That's the next article there in that, in that courtyard. And it's there where we allow God to sanctify us, to cleanse us. Um, we... Uh, Use a scripture last week about the washing of the water by the word, and that how that we all need to be sanctified and walk sanctified and holy and pure before the Lord. <clears throat> all these things we we talked about, and then last week we entered into the uh, the holy of holies, and when we did, we uh, we came. On the left side, as you walked in, we seen the candlestick, the golden candlestick, and uh, uh, we talked about that last last week. Tonight, um, we're going to talk about the last two items that are in the holy place. That's what we're going to be dealing with uh, tonight, and uh, we are going to. Um, 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 I'm going to put up a scripture here. We're going to be talking about, first of all, the table of showbread. We find this in the book of Exodus, chapter 25, verse 23. I thank everybody who's watching at home by means of the Internet. We 
are glad you have joined us. God bless you and hope you receive something tonight. And as we as we approach all these things in the uh, in, in the tabernacle, we're getting closer and closer to the presence of God. Everybody, every Christian, every child of God needs to come to a place where they can, as the old folks used to say, pray through. Amen. And before you get that, get into the presence of God because that's what this tabernacle is all about. Is we, um, uh, God, and God and, uh, had Moses to build that because he said, I, I, want to, I want you to build me a sanctuary. If you remember that we read the scripture a few weeks back, build me a sanctuary so I can dwell among the people. See, God wants to have fellowship with you. Amen. He desires you a whole lot more than you desire him. Amen. He wants to get connected with you more than what we want to get connected to him. And so we, we have come through the door. We talked about the door last week, Jesus being the door and the only way. And we talked about the candlestick. But now let's talk about the table of showbread. Exodus chapter 25, beginning verse 23. It says, you shall also make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall it be, uh, shall be its length and a cubic its width and a cubic and a half its height. Verse 24, and you shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold all around. Now, here's something very interesting. If you'll remember me telling you last time, when you got through the gate into the outer court, everything was covered with brass. But now that you're in the holy place, everything's covered with gold or made of pure gold. The table was, uh, was made of a certain kind of wood, but then they overlaid that wood with gold. And... Uh, here is a picture, and um, I think Chris will be able to put it up for those watching uh, by the internet. This is one rendering of what that table looked like. Can't you imagine just the dollar value of what that would be worth today? Um, that's um, overlaid with pure gold, and you notice it had two bars on it on each side. That's what they carried it by as they traveled through the wilderness. They covered it up with covering and they carried it. And um, this is the table of showbread. Now if you will notice in your um, prayer guide here, we're going to read a little bit from that. <coughs> the table bread symbolize God's willingness to fellowship with man and him to be in his presence. Hallelujah. Um, something I want to, um, extra I want to share with you. 
It was called also the golden altar of incense. Um, and um, it was, uh, well, no, I've gotten, gotten ahead of myself now. Uh, when I said that, excuse me, let me back up just a minute. I thought I had my papers in line, but I don't. It opposite, um, um, on the opposite side from the candlestick, what we talked about last week, was the table of showbread, or also referred to as the table of presents. It was made of acacia wood, overlaid with gold, as I said. It's, the Bible said, the scripture said it was two cubics in length. That means about three feet. About three feet in length by one cubit or one and a half uh, feet. The breadth and the height, one and a half cubit. Around the table was a border of gold. And then a little further in on top, an additional border which would hold the contents in its place. The table had four legs and two gold-plated poles were inserted through golden rings attached to the legs so they could carry it. The purpose, the purpose of the golden table was to hold 12 cakes of bread made of fine flour. They were placed in two rows of six each, loaf representing one of the tribes of Israel. As you can see, um, there are two stacks there on the table. Six uh, 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 loaves of bread to each stack, making 12. And they represented the 12 tribes of Israel. They were made of unleavened bread. Didn't have no yeast put in it, um, but it was unleavened bread. They were placed there in two rows of six, as I said, and every Sabbath day, fresh hot loaves were provided by Aaron. The priests were entitled to eat the loaves while standing in the holy place. Um, as the priests did their work inside the tabernacle, they couldn't leave till all the work was done. So they would, they would partake of that bread uh, and eat of it while they were, uh, they were there. Um, the 12 baked cakes of bread spoke of God's people who were one with him. Now listen to me closely about this. It speaks of um, God's people who were one with him as the priests joined together for fellowship of eating the bread and becoming one. Jesus referred to himself as what? The bread of life. Amen. And said, if we eat this bread, we will live forever. And my friend, I'm sorry, and I don't want to hurt nobody's feelings, but when Jesus said, if you eat of this bread... You shall have eternal life. Amen. There's no substitute for that. Hallelujah. There ain't nothing natural that can give you eternal life. There's nothing that I can eat literally that's going to give me eternal life. Hallelujah. The very nature of bread is to provide physical sustenance 
And as you eat the bread and digest it, it becomes part of you. When you eat the Word of God, it becomes part of you. Hallelujah. They, the, the day might come that they may break in your house and take your Bible away, but if you got it right here, it's a part of you, and they will never get it out. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Glory. Amen. The very nature of the Word of God is to provide spiritual sustenance and is received, it becomes part of our nature. Amen. Now, I want you to notice a scripture in the... 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17. Notice what Paul said here. For we, who is the we? Us, the church, right. For we, though many, we got, there's many members in the body of Christ. It ain't just this congregation, but it's all the churches all over the world who believes in the gospel. For we, though many, um, are one bread and one body. See, that's what that back then symbolized. The oneness. Amen. And the, and the unity and the fellowship. For, for we, though many, are one bread and one body. For we all partake of that one Bread, hallelujah. Glory. Oh, glory to God. Woo, thank you, Jesus. Amen. So, the, the sixth step that you take, look on your, your prayer guide here, the prayer focus. When, as you're praying, you've done, you've done stopped at all other things and you, you, you went to the candlestick and you prayed and asked God to give you understanding and revelation regarding the truth of his word. And now you cross over to this table of showbread. And this is what you think about as you're praying, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I've got the scriptures down there. You can turn to them and read them later. This bread of his presence is the Rima. God breathed word of God to us. As you're praying and you think about that table of showbread, ask God to speak to our hearts and allow us to commune with him and hear his voice and follow him. Lord, I I, I want to commune with you. I want to have fellowship with you. I want to be one with you. Hallelujah. Help me to be one with you, Lord. This is how you pray when you think about the table of showbread. And then pray for those who share his bread with us. Who are those who share his bread? Missionaries, pastors, evangelists, church leaders. Pray for them all. When you're praying, don't just pray for yourself. Pray pray for all, all others. Hallelujah. So that is what the table of showbread is all about. And it's there. And this is when you're there, this is a good time. I told you when you start to pray, have your Bible with you. This would be a good time to open up your Bible and read a few passages of scriptures. And the best scriptures to read then while you're praying is the book of Psalms. Because do you know 90% of Psalms are prayers? 
Hallelujah. 90% of the, uh, of the book of Psalms are prayers, amen, that were prayed. So this is what we think about. And so now we are still in the holy place. Um, and I told you that. Now there's one other article of furniture in the holy place. When you come in, and, and remember, you know, one side is a candlestick, the other side is the table of showbread. The furniture and everything about it is laid out in what? Shape of a cross. Shape of a cross. Now you're there in the center, right before you approach the veil itself that takes you from the holy place to the holies of holies where the very presence of God is. It's an altar, it's another altar. We had one altar in the courtyard. Now there's another altar. Let's read about that. Exodus chapter 30 and verse 1. You shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubic shall be its length and a cubic its width. It shall be square and two cubits shall be its height. Its horn shall be of one piece um, with it. And you shall overlay its top, its sides all around and its horns with pure Gold, and you shall make for it a molding of gold all around. So here is the artist of view of the altar of incense that's right there before you enter into the veil. If you'll notice, it's got two poles. That's the carrot by. The priest carried it as they traveled from place to place through the wilderness. Now, let's just talk about that just for a, uh, a little bit. Um, the golden altar of incense, which was straight ahead before the veil, this third piece of furniture in the holy place on which the holy incense burned, it was made from acacia wood, as I said. It was overlaid with gold, three foot tall, one cubit square. Um, it had around the top a crown of gold. It had four golden horns. You see the horns there uh, at the top of the picture. Now, listen to this close. Please, everybody get this. This is a beautiful typology right here. Listen listen to this. Um, the incense was a mixture of three rich and rare spices which cannot be identified today. Now the Bible gives the name but um, I can't even pronounce the name and most Bible scholars don't know um, what it really was. Uh, some people will take a stab at it and try to say, well, you know, this is that and everything, but uh, 
um, it was um, uh, spices that was put together. Now, now one of them, uh, one of them was frankincense. Now we know about frankincense. That was one of them. But there were some other sp- uh, spices that was burned as incense that um, we really can't identify for sure what they were. These were blended with with the frankincense and beaten to a fine powder, and they added salt to it. It was, now here's what I want you to get. You might want to (coughs) write this down on your piece of paper there. It was totally forbidden for this formula to be used by any private individual. It had to be used only in the worship of God in the holy place. God told the priest the things to use to make the incense to burn. He said, but once I give you this, you can't, you can't say, well, man, this stuff smells pretty good. I think I'll take some of this and, and burn some of this at home. But God said, you don't burn it nowhere else except for the worship of me. Now, let me tell you something, folks. There's some things in our life that should be dedicated to God that we should not touch. Come on, somebody. There's some things that we need to reserve and say, God, this is me given to you for you alone. You can talk about tithes and offerings. You can talk about your prayer, your Bible study, the time that you have, whatever it may be. But we all need, there's got to be that something that's reserved for God. Said, don't use it nowhere else. Use this for worship to me. Hallelujah. Now, they had burning coals laying on. There was a grate there, and they were burning coals, and they poured that incense over the top of it. That's that began to cause the incense to smoke and produce a delightful aroma in the holy place. It was the offering of the person for whose sins had been forgiven by blood, and then went on to express the fragrance and love and worship, which was pleasing to God. Hallelujah. Amen. So, step number seven on your prayer guide. Only the fire of repentance can burn the incense of our intercession. This is a symbol of our prayers and intercession going up to God as a sweet fragrance. That was lit, and that incense was, and where it was setting made it go back behind the veil. And this was a type of our prayers. Do you know the Bible tells us that all of our prayers forever goes up to the throne room of heaven to God? Do you know prayers that you prayed 20 years ago is still in the presence of God right now? God don't take them things lightly. He don't take it lightly. Hallelujah. 
your prayer is important to God. God holds your prayers at high value. And the incense was a symbol of our prayers and our, our worship in prayer unto God. Now, <clears throat> as we think about this incense, while you're praying, here's your prayer focus. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Psalms 141 and 2. See, your prayer is like incense to God. When you pray, it flows upward to, to Him. And Psalm 141, that's printed there already for you on your handout. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as what? Incense. And the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Here in the incense offered is symbolic of our worship. Our worship, we make intercession for others and for any situation in our lives that require his intervention. Now, here's where you begin to ask your petition to God. I told you when I begun this, it's one of the most disrespectful things that you can do is when you start praying, start asking God to give you something, to do something for you before you take some time to worship and to thank him for what he's had done already. Go through the steps of repentance and let him cleanse you and confess you, all those things. Here at the altar of incense, it's where you make your petitions known unto God. Um, Jesus ever makes intercession for us. The golden altar of incense is where every request can be present to a prayer answering God. Does anybody here still believe that God answers prayer? Hallelujah. That's what it's all about. And I have, I, I'm, I'm fixing to close because uh, our time is up. But what I've read about this incense and the mixture of it said it gave such a, a pleasing smell and aroma is that it reminded the priest and the people coming in how great it is to know your sins has been covered. Those priests have done been through all of those steps. The blood's been applied. Sacrifices have been made. That priest knows that everything's taken care of. And now he's ready to take the next step, which we'll talk about the next time, behind that veil. And, and you can do it with boldness. Let us boldly come before the throne of grace to obtain mercy to find help in the sight of um, presence of God. Let's stand together.